This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air. Otago Access Radio, in partnership with Otago Polytech, brings you Blowing Bubbles. Blowing Bubbles brings you positive conversations with people in their bubbles around the world. How are people living their bubble lives? Working from home, keeping kids entertained and staying connected and getting exercise. And how are these things presenting us with the opportunities to find new ways of living? Every weekday, the Sustainable Lens team of Samuel Mann, Shan Gallagher and Mara Karatai reach out from their bubbles to chat with interesting and positive people around the world. Broadcast on Otago Access Radio 105.4 FM and streamed and podcast on oar.org.nz and sustainablelens.org. Bringing connection, joy, kindness and peace in the days ahead. Welcome to Blowing Bubbles, positive conversations with people in their bubbles, their safe spaces around the world. I'm Samuel Mann in Sawyer's Bay, Dunedin, and I am joined from Fokotani by Mawera Karatai. Kia ora, Mawera. Kia ora, Sam. How's it going? Very well, except that I nearly said you were from Karatai. <laughs> that would be not a bad place to be from. Is there a place? There's a road. Of course there's a road. Yeah, well, they will do. Close okay. enough. So that will do. We should go and get a picture there. And who are we introducing today? Well, do you know what? We always have these themes and they don't happen purposely. They just sort of unfold. So we've had Paul Moon this week. We've had Linda Smith this week. And now we are very fortunate to be joined for a second time on the show, or although a long gap between one of my most favourite humans on the planet, Dr. Martin Andrew. Welcome, Martin. Kiora Sam and Mara, it's lovely to be here. As I look over Otago Peninsula from where I'm sitting, I can almost see the Karatai Trail, which is one of the most fantastic walks here in Otipoti Dunedin and a fantastic place I visit frequently to see the wonderful Pacific Ocean spuming all over the place and squirting its bubbles and everywhere, bubbles being one of our core themes, of course, and I will not confess that I've had too many bubbles tonight, but if you happen to hear me slurring my speech, you can make a reasonable guess. And why so many bubbles? Because so many fantastic celebrations have happened recently to do with our students, our learners completing, some of which may not yet be disclosed and others which are imminent and also to do with wonderful things happening in the country and in the world these days. And you are coming to us from St. Leonard's? Correct. I'm Fam- in St. Leonard's. Famous, the road for, you, Sam. famous for never-ending roadworks. Famous for its wonderful um, cones made of plastic, <laughs> very, very unrecyclable. And um, they make fantastic party hats, those big pink cones. So Christmas is coming up. If you can't find a good party hat, just go down to St. Leonard's and steal one. Also famous for a garden. Because your garden is stunning. I have a lovely garden because the um, house which I'm living in at the moment used to be the manse, the local manse from 1905. Um, There used to be a church out the front. The church is gone. It's a kindergarten now where they grow children. 
And um, this, this wonderful 1905 manse has got its original garden design. And all I've done is populated it with the things that I love and surrounded myself completely with greenery. And every time I get a little bit bored, what do I do? I go out and plant another tree. I think that I am probably a one-man ozone saver at the moment. Do they take much looking after, or is it a putting them in and appreciating them when they flower? Miraculously, here down in Dunedin, it has been so extremely dry of late that... I have to water these things all the time. I can't wait until the weekend when there is promised rain, but they keep on promising and it doesn't come. I think I might have to go out and do a rain dance, hopefully not a naked rain dance, like the people I saw down at St. Leonard's this morning skinny dipping. You would have thought Otago Harbour is far too cold for that kind of activity, but apparently not. The water is warming up. It, it is. Uh, I wouldn't say it's pleasant, but it is getting warmer. Well, you would know, wouldn't you, Sam? You seem to be in the water yourself nearly every day. I not every day, but quite a lot. If the, but you're if, wearing a wetsuit, you don't do the skin no. zipping thing like these oh, brave no, souls I, I saw today. I do togs. You don't do a wetsuit past past Labour Weekend in my rules. Okay, that does sound like a, a bit of an old wives' tale. Or a piece of popular wisdom, perhaps. <laughs> like in the United States, you're not allowed to wear white shoes past Labor Day. It sounds like one of those ridiculous kind of old wives' tales. Exactly. And, and talking we'll... of the United Talking of the United States, where we've got Thanksgiving today, haven't we? Thanksgiving. Um, which of course Theodore Roosevelt, I think it was, decreed in nineteen forty one, sometime during the war, he decided that it would be the fourth, the fourth, the fourth in the fourth week anyway of November. Apparently, it was all the result of a great big typographical error, and they had to go with it in the end. They really wanted it to be the third, but that is how the things come about. But um, regardless of Thanksgiving, we've got that horrible thing coming up tomorrow called Black Friday, which of course is a time of great consumption and is created, you know, in Americana to follow up on Thanksgiving. We give thanks to the world and then we go out and spend all this money on rubbish we don't want, rubbish nobody wants, and stimulate the economy, Black Friday. I always thought it was Friday the 13th, you know, Halloween and Jason and the knives stabbing people. But no. But as you know, the ad admins at work have been desperate to put up the Christmas decorations. I think Christmas decorations seem to be going up earlier this year. I mean, I know it gets earlier and earlier every year. Some of us are a bit more traditional and won't put them up until the 1st of December. But Lily at work, of course, who is American, is absolutely insistent that they not go up until after Thanksgiving. Well, I think that's probably a wise idea. I like to follow the rules of Advent myself. I can remember in my childhood getting those Advent calendars with the little doors and you open the first door on the 1st of December. I don't know if people still do this. And they brought out um, chocolate Advent calendars at one stage where you opened a little window and if you were lucky, there was a piece of chocolate there behind. Um, I'm not quite sure where that custom came from, the world of commercialism, I'm sure. But it's one of those things, when do you put up your Christmas decorations? It's a bit like it's a bit like the Labor Day thing that we mentioned before. <laughs> there, are, still, there are rules. We still, 
we still do advent calendars in our house even though um the children are getting much bigger but they still like them and it's just kind of a little bit exciting even though we're not religious and we don't really celebrate christmas but we do have advent calendars Yes, in my day, there were lovely little things like candles and lanterns behind each window. Nowadays, there's probably something commercial behind it, sponsored by this company, sponsored by that company, to make you go out and buy something every day of Advent. Hopefully, we're moving away from that kind of crass commercialism for the coming festive seasons. Hopefully, we're moving more into, you know, regifting, upcycling, reusing all of those things. I think this year, my go-to Christmas um, prezi for people is going to be decomposition books, which are fantastic because I'm really into journaling and decomposition books can, they're recyclable of course, but they can also go back to the earth after you have written out your heart and soul and splurged what's on your mind and shared your thoughts reflectively in a decomposition journal that can go back to the earth when your thoughts are no longer required. I think it's good to keep a journal, but sometimes it's also good to let your journal go. <laughs> I don't think so. I've got all of mine on the wall behind me. I'm currently on 196, and I think it's nice to have them. Well, it reminds me of what Mae West said. Mae West said something along the lines of every girl should keep a journal because one day your journal will keep you. I guess it really depends on what the content of your journal is and how salaciously publishable they might be. Recently, it's been quite a lot of notes from conversations on blowing bubbles, which we're also broadcasting, well, so I'm not sure why I'm keeping the notes. Well, it sounds like it's going to be the basis of a wonderful book or composition sometime in the future. And hopefully it will not need to be decomposed. Hopefully it'll be recomposed multiply. So we're talking about celebrations. Let's go to the first of your music choices. You can tell us what we're having, but it is a Christmas song. I was determined we weren't having Christmas songs until the 1st of December, but let's go with it. Who are we having? Well, I wasn't. I wasn't sure when this was going to be broadcast, and um, it's nice to have something that looks forward to the festive season. And I have to say that I was thinking of something in the lines of a medieval carol, um, but I couldn't find any recordings of Ambrose's first carol from circa 340 AD, Veni Redemptor Gentium. I really wanted to be really that obscure. It didn't exist, and of course, after Henry VIII, in the time of the split from Rome and the formation of the Church of England, all of those carols were chucked out. Anything Catholic was evil, of course. And I wanted to find something from the 1950s by Noah Greenberg, who resurrected, you know, the idea of the Christmas carol in New York with Pro Musica and the antique music people. But the recordings were also kind of muffled in 1950s. So I've gone to Yo-Yo Ma here, and the songs of joy and peace. And one of the wonderful songs of joy and peace is by a fantastic um, violinist called Alison Krauss. And it's the Irish carol, the Wexford carol. So that will be my first piece today, the Wexford carol played by Alison Krauss with Yo Yo Ma. Good God. 
And it's been a while since we spoke to you on the show and since then a whole bunch of things have happened in the world a change of government um, a new strain of the virus that's everywhere vaccinations um, mm. and interest rates have now gone up there's just so many things have happened what do you think is the most significant thing that's happened over the last 12 months and is it a good or bad thing well, since we're meant to be talking about positive conversations, 
I'm finding it difficult to review the last 12 months in an entirely positive light. The last time we talked, it was kind of like the middle of lockdown one. And now we're at the other end of our lockdown two. Who knows if there may be more in the future? I doubt it. And during lockdown one, when we last talked in this kind of a way, we were speaking about all of the wonderful things to come out of lockdown, like people sharing their baking, leaving, leaving cakes on the doorstep, and people smiling at each other on their daily walk. And there was a sense of connection, a sense of community that gave us a sense of hope and um, kind of a love of humankind. And I think that lockdown two saw a movement away from that because it was really capitalistic lockdown. It wasn't really lockdown of hope anymore. It was lockdown of let's go back to a new normal, which involves all of the businesses opening up as much as they possibly feasibly can without endangering others. And um, I noticed also that this thing of being kind kind of went out the window a little bit. And people sort of think kindness became a PC woke buzzword. And so they stopped being kind as an act of rebellion. And I think that there has been a kind of anti-kind movement. So what we really do need to do, especially as we head now into what we might call the festive season or the holiday season or whatever you want to call it, depending upon your belief system, I think it's time for us to rethink what kindness looks like in this very complex age. And I think that for me, kindness at this time is clearly about giving, but it's about giving your time and about giving your creativity and giving things of beauty. I think we need to return to ethical kind of gifting systems, fair trade, zero waste, I mean, all of these are buzzwords as well, and probably somebody will roll their eyes and call me woke when they hear me talking about zero-waste gifts and gifts that don't have so much of a carbon footprint. But um, apart from the decomposition journal books, I'm also going to give people this year some worm farms because I, I have a colleague who runs a tiger worm farm <laughs> and there is nothing like a fantastic worm farm to stimulate children's fascination with the natural world and also that whole idea of things going back to the earth through the act of composting is quite a fantastic one as well. And I like the idea of everything being renewable and reducing the footprint by, I suppose, by using things all over again. So I haven't really answered your question because I wanted to turn it to the positive and I didn't want to mention anything to do with um, backstabbing in the back rooms of Parliament or about <clears throat> people saying comments against this person or that person, although we read about them all the time and the media certainly tries to stir up a hornet's nest about this politician and that politician. And if there is anybody on our planet who is fair game for satire, it is definitely politicians. But I think I will leave that job to, to Tom Sainsbury. It's been, um, it's been quite interesting on social media just lately. Um, there's all these, these very weird relationships seem to be being formed um, where you have... Uh, 
what seems to me to be uh, anti-Māori, but not originally anti-Māori, originally anti-Black, but now moving into New Zealand, anti-Māori interest groups um, who are forming alliances through this weird misinformation sharing with um, with with uh, the anti ten eighty people and the uh, anti government people and the anti women people and anti three mm. like all of these anti groups that don't belong together where you all of a sudden see this white supremacy flag flying next to the Tino Rangatira flag and it's just this odd space that we find ourselves in at the moment of all of these anti people mm. who are strange bedfellows I must say. It's very true. You do see quite a lot of red caps out in town on the days when we have those so-called freedom rallies. But they, as you say, they're supposed to be about the ideal of freedom, libertarianism, but they end up being a hodgepodge of all kinds of anti-issues whirled up into one melting pot of meaninglessness and confusion. And um, I was actually caught in town during one of those hideous marches, surrounded by very, very noisy bikies with lowered suspension, making noise just for the sake of it, and a soundtrack of chants that made no sense at all. But I think all of this antiness that we're seeing is a kind of response to what you might call political correctness. And anything at all which is seen as being politically correct, you mentioned, you mentioned blacks, you mentioned you mentioned Maori, any any of those other groups end up being something that you want to rebel against if you belong to this melting pot of hatred, which seems to be unfurling everywhere at the moment. And it's a great shame. But I can tell you quite a nice story that one person who I am quite close to, who was a member of that group and was also involved in, I suppose, the anti-vax, pro-freedom kind of movement after a critical conversation with myself and a colleague decided by far the best thing they could do for themselves and their whānau was go out, after all, and get the vax and be able to share this message with others within their immediate quarter. So sometimes just the right conversation, the right whisper in the air when someone is ready without forcing any ideology on them can actually end up making the world a difference. So sometimes we can take something really negative and if we have the chance and the opportunity to whisper in somebody's ear and make a tiny bit of difference, I suppose it's micro-activism in a way. If we started really teaching critical thinking in our schools at a super young age, would that be enough to stop us going down these paths in the future? I definitely think that critical thinking is something that we do need to start very, very early on with kids. And I'm really lucky that um, around the corner for me is the St. Leonard's School which is a school which is a real leader in kind of eco-education and it's one badges. And you have all of the kids out there involved in gardening. And I mentioned word, worm farms before and tomorrow they have a fantastic pets day, animals day. So they're bringing a lot of awareness about the ecosystem and about the role of little creatures, whether they're spiders or slaters, 
or, 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 your, or your moggy or your doggy, all of them play a role in the ecosystem. And of course, your regular pets, pets play a lovely role in helping people to wind down after a busy day. There's nothing like stroking the back of your feline to get rid of the negative energies of the day. So when it comes to critical thinking, beginning early, I think it begins with the kind of topics that you do bring up and anything in the ecological or anything at all to do with horticulture or to do with zoology and animal husbandry can go down really, really well. It doesn't have to be about extinct dinosaurs to attract the interest of youngsters. They have a fascination with life. And I think that it all begins with stimulating a fascination with life. And um, for me, that's really where critical thinking begins, getting people to be interested from an early age in the lives of other creatures and other people and other environments and other races and other nationalities and anything at all which is different from oneself. And from there, critical thinking can take many, many forms in educational contexts from primary upwards. And it all largely depends on, you know, your choice of texts. And I'm not talking just about, I'm not just talking about you know, a novel, Treasure Island or something like that. Swiss Family Robinson, all of those things that we used to think were really kiddie friendly. But I'm also thinking about gaming and about audio texts and comic books and anything at all which exists in the digital form, which might be a form of textuality, which has no meaning, but which has meaning to them. But I think it's really important to ensure that there is a critical message that goes in there as well, teaching those youngsters how to, I suppose, unpack the hidden ideology that exists inside any given text. And once you have those skills imprinted from an early age, I think that we have the beginnings of um, a positive generation going forward. Bubble Sprite of the Forest of Orokunui, Dunedin's favourite goddess, I hope you're all having the best day, beautiful superstar, in your beloved universes. And I really hope wherever you are and whatever's happening around you, this journey that we're on together is proving to be very rewarding, very sustained, and illuminating for you more and more each day. Who you are, a triumph of nature's art perfect, unique, and here making this better. Thank you. Now as I talk to you, I'm in the middle of a very gentle rainstorm. It's been a very hot day and I'm looking out my window over a beautiful, beautiful Northeast Valley over to the Botanic Gardens and the birds are singing and the birds are flying high in the sky making these beautiful patterns. I can see a lovely person strongly walking up our quite steep hill with their groceries and I can see various lights shining as it starts to get dark. I can see all these beautiful trees just loving all the rain because it's been so hot today. And I can also see the sea, which I'm sure is enjoying this fresh water coming in and stirring things up. And of course this has got me thinking about our view, our outlook, what we see every day and the impact that this has. 
and of course as a species over time. We are so young, we are the portiki, we are the children on this earth and particularly here in Aotearoa, New Zealand, we are more and more acknowledging the visions and the the learnings and the understandings and the, the knowledge, the mataraka, that has really informed our whole reality that we find ourselves in now. These layers upon layers of daily experience, these layers upon layers of memories and shared knowledge that have been retold and retold and retained and retained so beautifully and so perfectly that they weren't forgotten. When they were retold, that with each retelling, they could have more meaning. So I'm gazing out over the botanic gardens and I can see all these native plants and introduced plants and they're all very beautiful. There's a light shining out there, I don't know where it is, what it's from, but it's very bright. And I can hear the gentle rain hammering on the corrugated iron roof, my roof and my neighbour's roofs. And this is a sound that's so iconic for us here, of course, in Aotearoa, New Zealand. I didn't have it when I lived in the UK as a wee girl up until the age of 18, from 7 to 18. And it's a, a sound that's been sung about and written about for a long time. So I really hope for you at this time you're enjoying these details, these sensory moments that can bring us so much peace and connection and also these cycles, these times when the human world that we all know and love and we are part of, that we recreate together each day our consensus reality, that we can take time to step back and see the bigger picture, that we are part of the living world and the living world loves us and surrounds us with love, with care, support and is reminding us of who we are and is reminding us to take time to take stock to recognize how far we've come to consolidate our learnings and to share them and something I love of course about being alive is that we're constantly learning from each other I've had a lovely day up at my heart's home Orokanui hearing about all the different perceptions through time of our lovely rangatahi our young people coming forward but also of course a to our older people, people from all stages and phases of life, sharing their stories, and it's so precious. And of course, when we are able to listen, more, the healing comes, as Catherine Callahan would say, the healing is in the listening. So I hope you're hearing some really beautiful sounds around you today, and I'll look forward to talking to you again soon. Thanks so much. Kakite. You are listening to Blowing Bubbles. We're talking with Martin Andrew. Martin, all three of us work in the area of teaching professional practice, working with people in whatever their profession might be. Can we summarise what effect the pandemic has had on people's professional practice? Is there a is there is there a take home message for, from how it's changed how people work? I think that people have become far more resilient, far more flexible. I think that people have learned how to respond in different and interesting and creative ways to moments of change. 
I think people have realized that if you can't control something because it's, you know, in the external locus of control rather than the internal locus of control, to cite that old psychological theory, I think that people have realized that they can empower themselves to create a new way forward, to create a new way of thinking, to get around the problems which perhaps they are facing and find new avenues, find new ways of thinking, new ways of responding. And I think this builds resilience and I think it builds a positive attitude towards the change, which is after all inevitable, but it's also expedited that process of learning how to respond to uncontrollable change in the professions. We talked to Rob England and various other people have talked about the VUCA world that we now live in, the volatile, uncertain, complex or complicated and ambiguous. Do you think that we were prepared for a a general shift to that kind of space or have we been living in some kind of blinkered stable la-la land that that we're now almost mourning that we've lost that i think a lot of people knew that some sort of epoch was imminent i'm not just talking about the bible bashes going on about the second coming but i'm talking about people with an eye on the environment and global warming and climate change and people who are in their activist space have been aware for some time that all of the signs are that there would be something imminent, whether it be viral or bacteriological or whether it be ecological. I think a number of people have been sitting on the edge of their seats wondering what the epoch is going to be. And I know that in the world of education where we circulate, there has been talk for some time since about 2004 about the theory of learning for an unknown future this idea that in vocational education and in professional education, we really do need to teach people, young and otherwise people in the professions, to be able to lead in such a way that they make an impact that is, as I said earlier, resilient and builds strength and builds capacity and isn't reliant merely on subject knowledge and passing exams, but is based on um, kind of what Bourdieu might call habitus, that idea of things which are inborn and ingrained inside us and which prepare us better for moments of volatility and massive change. So it really increases our ability to be responsive to things that we cannot control. You mentioned climate change there and things we we can't control. Do you think there are any lessons in the pandemic and the pandemic response for those bigger sorts of things that we face? I'm thinking of things like climate change or biodiversity or social justice in in the large? Yes, I do. One of the things I've been thinking about a little bit lately is the idea of the digital footprint. The fact that during the lockdown period and the COVID period, education went online and we Zoomed left, right and centre and all kinds of things went online. People were consuming so much more when it came to the online space 
And in terms of CO2 usage, <laughs> it became incredibly massive. And we often forget that the amount of electricity and energy um, from human consumption is immense. I think our energy appetites collectively went up a huge amount. We hear about this quite a lot in the context of Bitcoin as being perhaps the most unsustainable banking method ever. But actually, this is quite true about our migration of our practices and work online. And I think that electricity activism is one of the things we really do need to get into a lot more. Lots and lots of organizations and businesses went bust or, or, or lost profits or lost creativity during this difficult time. But those electricity companies just kept on putting it up and up and up. And for them, it doesn't matter. Their profits will be exponential, regardless of whether the world is ending. So there are little things that we can do, like investigating online hosting platforms, which um, perhaps use wind-generated electricity or renewable electricity. I know something called WindCloud, which is quite big in Europe and Hetzner is another one I know about, which is German, and it's a hosted website that is completely powered by renewable energy. And I think that these are kind of little windows of hope that come out of this rather complex, difficult period in history. And I think that we need to think more about electricity activism and ways to reduce our digital footprint and become very conscient conscious of the fact that we are consuming and consuming quite a lot during this time of migration online. Talking about those windows of hope, the theme of this show is positive but not deluded. And how do you think that we can maintain a, a positive mindset, but one that's also critical and, and, and not just pretending that everything's rainbows? Well, of course, nothing is really rainbows and unicorns. Everything, everything that is of value um, needs to be critically thought through and critically considered. But I think the way to do it is to enact and take action in what you believe, in what you believe, rather than leaving it in the abstract space of critical thinking. Get out there and do stuff. We opened this show, for example, with me talking about the importance of planting trees. This is just something I do because I love my own environment here. And I know that I am just lending this little piece of land for the duration of my lifetime here. And it will be a legacy in the future. And I think things as simple as stimulating the soil and using horse manure from the local nag and putting it on your garden to make your trees grow and produce more prolifically can be a fantastic way of addressing the problem that you mention. I think that we still need to be dreamers. I think that all of us need to dream a little bit. The world needs those dreamers because without those John Lennon-like dreamers, um, we're not going to have a sense of aspiration. We're going to be grounded too much in the here and now without leaving a legacy for the people who are young at present and who will be our future after all. 
those people need the voice of the dreamer. Let's squeeze in the second of your music choices. This one's going to take some explanation. The Avengers theme, why this? Well, during the lockdown period, I decided that I would engage in this activity called binge watching. I know that streaming is um, going to increase the digital footprint, and I'm not going to give you a message that's in favour of Netflix and all of that. But I do have an old DVD box set of the Avengers with Diana Rigg as Emma Peel. And growing up, I thought that Emma Peel was the best thing since sliced bread. And since we have lost Diana Rigg in the last year or so, she died just over a year ago, um, I thought that this would be a fantastic time to revisit these shows. And the reason why I love the Avengers, 1965 to 1967, nothing to do with Marvel comic books, by the way, is because they are so highly imaginative. They don't have massive budgets. They're quite often set bound. But the writing is fantastic. And the ideas behind them using multiple dimensions and different ways of thinking are, on the one hand, believable, and on the other hand, completely wacky. And I love them because they have stood the test of time. And what's more, they have Emma Peel running around in a black catsuit. So Laurie Johnson is the famous writer of a number of theme tunes to shows from the 60s, 70s, went on to Doctor Who and stuff like that. So here is the Avengers theme tune to jog your memory.
So when we make the show into a podcast, we have to come up with a title that's got bubbles in it. So far, I've written down Decomposing Bubbles, Windows of Hope Bubbles, Dreaming Bubbles, Unicorn Bubbles, and what's that one? Believable Yet Wacky Bubbles. <laughs> oh, we need Avenger yep. Bubbles. Diana Rick Bubbles. I yes. have... I have some questions to end the show. What is the biggest success you've had in the last couple of years? I've been really, really fortunate and lucky to be accompanying a number of fantastic learners on their journeys. I've been in the waka with some 20 or 30 learners in the last little while. And particularly this year, 2021, I can say that I have seen the end of journeys, or this part of journey anyway, of eight doctoral learners and four master's learners. And that is quite a considerable volume of people to be disembarking the waka all in one year. This is just an accident of history, and this is just a freak year. It's a bit like an Auckland bus, you know. You wait for hours and then three or four come along at once. It's been like that for me this year. But the wonderful thing about it is not the fact that I have had these successes, but the fact that I have been able to support others in becoming, I suppose, the best version of themselves or the version of themselves that can help help them to move forward with the next stage of their lives. And I really enjoy the fact that we are sharing with these people a transformative sense of identity development that brings them joy, brings them hope, and brings them a sense of identity and self-achievement. I think for me, that is the most successful thing of all, having a small say, a small role in the successes of others. And next year, we'll have a whole pile of new people starting. You'll have to go back to thinking about the review of learning and the learning agreements. I'm really looking forward to future challenges, and the more future challenges that come my way, the more comfortable I will be. I am one of those people who, the more he is able to do, um, the happier he is. I think my happiness comes from a sense of being ingrained in deep activity, particularly activity that I think is impactful in helping others to be the best version of themselves. There we are, that cliche has come up yet again. Maybe that should be the title of the bubble, best version of yourself bubble. So what's your superpower? My superpower I've already alluded to, and that is the superpower of being able to grow trees, to use compost. And for me, this is a metaphor also for educating others, the potential to bring others to, yeah, you got it, the best version of yourselves. All of the trees and flowers I have growing at the moment, and it's the height of um, late spring, early summer, as I speak, are reaching that best version of themselves, like the learners I've been paddling in the waka with this year. Do you consider yourself to be an activist? I think so. I I already had decomposing bubbles. Yeah, I think that um, activism is really what happens when you do stuff as opposed to just say stuff or post stuff on social media. Activism is when you take your beliefs and the things that you are critical of in the world and make something of it. I have a couple of ideas here and being an electricity activist in some way, shape or form is one of them. Another area of activism I'm really interested in 
is getting sugar, sugar removed from products that people consume on a daily basis. Sugar is one of the great toxins in our world, in our lives. We have, the, we have obesity epidemics left, right and center. We go into the supermarket, pick up a product, look, look at the list and there's sugar in everything. And I think it's high time that the sugar companies around the world were disempowered in much the same way that the tobacco companies have been. I think the same kind of revolution can happen in the world of sugar. And the other area of activism that I'm really interested in is bringing home the composting message. We've mentioned, we've mentioned decomposition books. I've mentioned worm farms. I've mentioned compost. And I think that this is a really good way of bringing renewability into our gardens, into our lives. And also, as I mentioned earlier, a great way of beginning educating young ones into the way that life works in our ecosystems. Well, yesterday's show was decolonizing bubbles. Maybe today's show will be called desugaring bubbles. We need less sweetness in our lives, as a matter of fact. Most of us are sweet enough already, after all. And lastly, do you have any advice for our listeners? My advice to our listeners as we head into Yuletide and the silly season, apart from keeping yourself well and safe, is to look for gifts which are sustainable and look for gifts which are locally sourced and look for things which are going to have the minimum carbon and digital footprint on the world. If possible, if you're buying gifts for young ones, something which can help them on their journey of critical thinking. Um, something like a model of dinosaurs that they can construct or something which can use creativity and the hands, something which goes back perhaps to former times, old ways of making and doing, but something which brings great awareness to the young ones about the footprint that they leave on our ecosystems, on our environment, on our planet. Thank you for that. I think you've been talking to my mother. My mother's just sent out the rules for Christmas, and it sounds remarkably like those ones. Mawera. Well, that's good. Martin, um, this, an American singer called Amanda Palmer um, tells a story in her book about making eye contact with people and that moment of, I see you. And that's you. You see your learners. And to get the best out of people, you've got to see them first. And, the way, and you seem to see the potential in a person and then help them to get to that, to that really remarkable place of fulfilling their potential. And that is, I think, the greatest gift in the world that you can give a person. And you give that all the time. So thank you for that gift. Thank you for the giving that you do. Thank you, Mara. I think it really is all about reflective listening and realizing that the act of educating people is more about listening actually than it is about speaking and asserting how much you know. It's about listening and reflecting. And I think that's where the seeing the person in front of you comes in. Thank you very much for joining us.
Spaces around the world. Brought to you by the Sustainable Lens Team, which is brought to you by Otago Polytechnic. We are broadcast on Otago Access Radio every weekday afternoon at 3 and streamed and podcast on oar.org.nz. You can follow us on Facebook and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. We have a contribution today from Tahu McKenzie. This is the Guess Who? No Sugar Tonight. New Mother Nature. With Wira Karatai in Fakatani, and we have been joined from St. Leonard's Dunedin by Martin Andrew. That was Blowing Bubbles. We hope you enjoyed the show. This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air.